Good morning, Graham Church. I feel so deeply privileged, and I'll share a little bit why I believe God supernaturally opened the door for me to be able to serve you. But um, like Pastor Mike before me, I'm, I'm just Pastor Jim or Jim. Uh, years ago, I was able to point a young man to Christ, and then about a year later to do his wedding. And then when their first baby boy was born, he told me that um, they named him after me. I called my family together and said, they named Jeff and Pam named their baby after me. And my daughter said, they named a baby Pastor Jim. <laughs> and uh, so we are Jim, Pastor Jim, your servant, Lord willing for the future. I want to jump uh, right into the Word of God. And I, there we go. So uh, my normal procedure will like Pastor Mike before, normally to take a passage of Scripture, maybe be in a series going through a book of the Bible and teach verse by verse. Uh, I think I'm going to do that in three weeks when I'm next able to be with you and actually officially start my service with you. I want to preach on what Mark Twain called the most important short story ever told out of the scriptures. But this morning, something a little different. I, I just want to talk about three truths that are close to my heart and then give a bit of a, a personal testimony. May, by God's grace, it always be true of us that we never glory or boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The Apostle Paul could have gloried in the books of the Word of God that the Spirit had guided him to write. He could have gloried in the church as he started. His, his Jewish background. He certainly wouldn't glory in his self-righteousness, but he could have gloried in the fact that he personally met the resurrected Christ. But Paul says, God forbid that I would ever boast that I would take my glory except in Christ. Jeremiah spoke for God and said, let not the rich man glory in his riches, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the powerful glory in their power, but let he who glories glory in this, that he knows me, that I am the Lord, who exercise loving kindness and justice on the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. All right, we're really talking briefly this morning before we come to the Lord's Supper, to communion, about three out of a multitude of things that really matter to me. And I begin with a clear gospel. I remember some years ago when there was a popular sec secular song that said, With you I'm born again. And I thought, oh no, we've lost a term. And uh, we'll always have to define now, as the Lord Jesus did in John 3, what does it mean to be born again or born from above? But now here's an interesting verse. I have to tell you, I, I've never been struck by this verse in the past uh, like I was just a couple of weeks ago. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Our battle, our goal, our joy, 
is to always try to be true to that which is the very Word of God. And uh, recognize that at its essence, the gospel is very simple. And yet we have an enemy. This one that's called the serpent of paradise, Satan, which means deceiver. Um, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're of your father the devil. He was a liar from the beginning and lived not in the truth. When he speaks a lie, he speaks his own language. Because that's who he is. And uh, in a world that seemingly has gone crazy, and sometimes even in churches, in which we've stopped to s- stopped speaking truth, uh, I feel like we have to be careful that, that Eve who was deceived in that garden, by the way, Adam, Adam was willful and knowledgeable in his sin. That's why Romans 5.12 says, Therefore by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all. But we always need to be beware that we would ever be pulled away from the beauty and the simplicity that is in the gospel of Christ. Amen? You do say amen here in Perrier. I, I, I was counting on that, yeah. So the, so the gospel is a very clear message. It's about God who is holy. His number one attribute, his primary characteristic in Scripture is he is holy, holy, holy. Lord God, almighty. And we have a message about the one true God. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The gospel is a message that God is more than love and mercy, but that he is holiness that needed to be satisfied at the cross. The gospel is a message about man made in the very image of God. That's why the child in the womb is precious. You were in his thoughts at the point of your being formed in the womb. And uh, Psalm 139, I think it says, He knows all of our thoughts, and He loves us anyway. That's a uh, comforting thought. The Bible is a message about man made perfect in the image of God in a garden in which there was no calories in pepperoni pizza and no stomach problems in Mountain Dew. But things have changed. And uh, the gospel is a message about the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, who is Jesus Christ. It's the reality of our sin. And then the the gospel is a message about the solution, the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, vindicated or proved true by the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the world, and received up into glory. Here's this precious gospel that, that we must be informed on and constantly making sure that we are accurate about Here's dear British theologian John Stott. Every time we look at the cross of Christ, uh, cross, Christ seems to be saying to us, I am here because of you. It is your sin I am bearing, your curse I am suffering, your debt I am paying, 
your death, I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, till we have visited a place called Calvary. It is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. Infinitely loved by the infinite God, made a little lower than the angels, and yet we see our sin in the cross of our Lord Jesus. We often quote the great commission at the end of Matthew, but here are the words that the Lord Jesus gave to the disciples just before he ascended up into heaven in Luke's gospel. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations. Here's the gospel. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or that's what uh, the Apostle Paul said that he preached to Gentiles and non-Gentiles. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about the necessity of never giving up on the clear and pure gospel of Christ. Now the truth is, many of the new heresies that we hear today are just old heresies and mistakes. There was a survey that asked a bunch of Americans, uh, is this in the Bible? God helps those who help themselves. Unfortunately, a majority of people surveyed said, yes, that's in the Bible. It's not. I tell my students at Cornerstone University, I'm just getting ready to retire from 25 years of teaching there, and, and uh, I tell my students, a Christian is not somebody who gets their act together. It's somebody who admits they don't have their act together. Let Christ become their act. And uh, some of our dear brothers and sisters would teach we're saved by grace and kept by our works. Who of us would ever make it into heaven if it wasn't God's grace that continues to keep us and love us? And um, there is what we call so prevalent today the prosperity gospel, which says become a Christian and you'll prosper in all your ways now. No health issues, no family issues. You'll have... Uh, Multiple Lexus in your, what would that be, Lexi, uh, in, your, in your driveway. And I'm just sorry to say that around the world, especially in many third world countries, many people have been taught a false gospel, and now they're disappointed with God because they say they started to follow Jesus, but they're not rich or healthy or problem-free. And let's understand that men and women of the Bible were given great grace by God to deal with their circumstances, but often there were painful circumstances between this world and the world to come. All right, number two. I just think that we need to continue to reemphasize, and I know in my soul, to work on consistent Christian conduct. The Apostle Paul and all the early followers of Christ knew what it was to probably experience martyrdom, to die. Paul said, I know what it is to tread water 
because the ship sank that I was traveling to, to share the gospel in, to be without food, to have wounds on my body where I'd been beaten, to spend more time in jail than, than in an inn. And, and, and part of Paul's motto was, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So maybe there's an issue with you and someone else. You say, well, Jim, I've been wronged. How about you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? You say, I, there's this temptation to just cut this corner and everybody else does it. It's a little deal. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. One of my life verses is here in Ephesians 4.15. It says, instead of being uh, tossed about by various doctrine and unstable truth, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. This um, expression... Uh, speaking the truth in the original language. It's just one, one phrase, truthing. There's the Christian's job description. We're to be truthing. But to quote John Stott again, he said, truth without love is too hard. Love without truth is too soft. The Christian's goal is to speak the truth in love. Amen? And in doing so, we will, in all things, grow up unto him who is the head, that is Christ. It's a part of our attempt to keep a pure gospel, to be consistent in our Christian life. And so I, I'm, I'm about halfway through reading through uh, the Bible right now in a, in a different translation, a different study Bible that I've used in the past. And I was struck by Isaiah 5 recently. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. And so whether it's God's plan for the way that we handle finances and all the blessings that we have, or the gift of sexuality, or whatever. Our fallen world tends to twist and call that which is evil good. And how we as Christians must work to sincerely in love to speak truth and be consistent in that which is right. So one of the verses that God gave me about 50 years ago when he called me to be a pastor. Hey, just a little bit about my age. That rumor that's out there that um, the Dead Sea was alive when I was born. It wasn't. It might have been getting sick, but um, God said, then I will give you shepherds. The word really can be translated pastors. After my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. I will probably never handle the word as skillfully as Pastor Mike did. I can never be to you a beloved shepherd in this next year or so like Pastor Mike. What I do pray that God would allow me to do is to lead you with God's knowledge and God's understanding. 
And I would deeply appreciate your prayer in doing that. And I'm so grateful that coming to Graham Church, I just become part of a team of servants that along with your pastors and elders that seek to lead God's church with knowledge and understanding. All right, I just want to jump to the third point. These are days in which we have to work for a clear gospel to conduct ourselves consistent in our Christian life and to remember to rejoice in the return of Christ. I love 1 John 2.28. Now, dear children, continue in Him. The old uh, King James says, abide in Him. So that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. And so the constant struggle and yet the constant goal is that we'd be honest and transparent enough to confess our sins, to ask God's strength to forsake our sins, to be right with Him and to be right with others, and be confident, unashamed before Him when He does come. Now, we don't fight about the date of the return of Christ. If somebody says they know the day or the hour, you know one thing about them. They don't know the day or the hour. And um, what, what we stand fast on is regardless of the details of trying to understand prophecy or eschatology, the study of future, future things, when we look, look at Luke chapter 21, he describes the terrible things happening around the world. He talks about cataclysmic events uh, in Israel and to come on planet earth. And to encourage his disciples, he says, when you see these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. You say, Pastor Jim, I, I thought I was redeemed when I was born again. Well, your soul was redeemed, but I can guarantee you my body hasn't arrived yet. And so salvation is in the past sense that we've been saved from hell. That's justification. We're being saved, hopefully, from the domination of sin. That's called sanctification. And the final aspect of our redemption or salvation is someday body, soul, and spirit will be perfectly reunited. So that when we see him, we will be like him just as he is. That's when the Mountain Dew comes back again. By the way, I try to biblically justify things that I say. And if you go back to Exodus and check out that Mountain Dew that went along with the Krispy Kreme manna. Okay, never mind. So I, I talk with believers all the time and even pastors and they're so despairing. Oh, COVID divided our church. Politics is dividing our church. I'm saying, wait. Don't, don't, don't mess with that stuff. Work to build the unity of the faith in the bond of peace. But now's a day to lift up your heads and rejoice because our redemption, though we would dare not say that we know when, but Jesus said rejoice. Your redemption is drawing near. I just preached a Christmas series and kind of have a new hero and heroine uh, Simeon is this old man that was in the temple when Mary and Joseph, eight days after the birth of Jesus, 
brought him into the temple to be circumcised and dedicated. And this old man, Simeon, says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. He's like, I've seen the Messiah. I can go home in peace, regardless of Roman centuries invading the temple or taxing us excessively or whatever. Then there's dear elderly Anna. She was a widow longer than she was married. And she stayed in the temple often to pray and worship. Coming up to Mary and Joseph, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to redemption. What an encouraging word this lady must have had for God's people. I've seen him. Rejoice. Messiah is here. So at this point I want to segue because um, we do want to come to the Lord's Supper, the community event. I don't like to just uh, patch it on quickly and so there's much more I'd like to say to you but I'll have opportunity. But um, I was born and born again in Pontiac, Michigan. You say, can any good thing come out of Pontiac? I'm not, I'm not sure, but um, I really was raised in a leave-it-to-beaver family. My, my mom and dad were Ward and June Cleaver. I even had big brother Wally. In fact, I even had Eddie Haskell down the street. I got my first cigarettes, heard my first dirty words probably from Eddie Haskell, and I just... I was so blessed to live in, in such a family that respected God and knew about God, but um, we didn't talk about being born again. But in high school, at Pontiac Central High School, friends witnessed to me. Actually, one night I'm walking home from an athletic event and, uh, with some of the other athletes, and, and uh, some girls stopped us in the street and said, guys, could we talk to you? We said, yeah. And they said, you need to know Jesus Christ to go to heaven. That planted a seed in my heart. Then others watered the seed. And then I was challenged to go to a Bible study, and, and uh, the co-holder of the world record in the high school high hurdles, Bill Tipton from Pontiac, he came into the group with a Bible and said, guys, it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. And if you don't receive Christ as your Savior, you go to hell when you die. It was not soft evangelism. And um, I went to Calvary that night and was born again. I remember I went home and I said to my mother, Mom, I got born again tonight. She said, you'll get over it. But five years later, the first person I ever baptized was my mom. And she became a, a missionary we were in a, a, a liberal church. Uh, some of you know Don Denyus from South Church. He's been a best buddy for many years. We uh, both left that church and uh, got baptized. And, and, um, uh, and then I, I went to Eastern Michigan University right next to that other school. I, I know that there's probably some of you that are secretly go blue people here. Your U of M. Everybody can be saved. <laughs> it takes special grace to save non-Spartans. But at any rate, we won't get into that. I was planning on being a veterinarian. 
And while I was a student there, God called me to minister. It was very clear, and I can tell that story some other time. So I, I heard about this Bible school down south that was really serious about training you to, to witness and get in the Word. So I, I didn't know much about it, so I, I went to Bob Jones Penitentiary. And at Bob Jones University, I had a good time, not concentrating on rules, but concentrating on l learning the Word. Between my sophomore and junior year, I was a counselor at Center Lake Bible Camp, which uh, you know you're a Michigander when you do this, way back in the southwest corner. And um, the very first day there, my team counselor and I said, look at that girl. And my friend Mark said, I'm going to marry her. I said, no, you're going to marry her. I did let Mark stand up in my wedding when I did marry her. But here was this radiant lady that loved Jesus and had a wonderful smile. Let me introduce you to my bride of 48 years. Nancy, would you stand up, please? Yeah, and she'll be around today. She's had to listen to me as her pastor for 48 years. Can you imagine that patience? And... Um, Nancy was actually the waterfront director that first year at the camp, and I was a counselor so, and an and a, uh, assistant lifeguard, and so she was my boss. The second year, I was the program director, and uh, she was a counselor, so I was her boss, and now for 48 years, it's been up in the air, you know. <laughs> but uh, what I want to say as, as time goes by quickly is that about 24 years ago, God uniquely called me to leave what had been my life as a regular type pastor uh, in three churches and to form a little ministry called Intentional Interim Ministries with the goal of helping churches find biblical success when they are in transition. Now the truth is I still am working for my 19th interim church which is Strickland Church up in Mount Pleasant. I went there only three months ago, and uh, then I got contacted by somebody to consider coming here to Graham, and I said, I, I can't. I, I, I can't leave until God provides a pastor. And so often that, that takes a, a year. The former pastor that's still in the church, like Pastor Mike, he had been there for 28 years and I thought to myself, it's going to be a year transition. I have to tell you that at Strickland Church in Mount Pleasant today, a potential candidate is speaking. And I may, I'm not able to be with you the next two weeks. Wish I could, but that's because uh, I'm going to be back up there finishing up at Strickland. And then at the end of February, they're going to vote on him. And uh, that has freed me then to become uh, your interim uh, in from number 20, I guess the truth is, if you're not very good, you have to move around a lot. <laughs> now, before we go to communion, let me just take this first Sunday with you to be very practical, let you know what my service as an interim would look like. Um, the elders and I really feel like that I can serve Graham about 25 hours a week, 
and we can get the job done. I will average being on campus here two days a week, Sunday plus another day, but there's going to be some times I'll be here four days a week and maybe some weeks that I won't. I'll preach an average of three out of four Sundays, so that gives other guys, guest speakers, but Pastor Johnny and Jake a chance to preach. And uh, Nancy and I live 75 miles away in Grand Rapids, but I've found the last 20 years as an interim, much of my ministry is done via phone or text or email. And uh, I will want my contact information put in the bulletin each week, and I want to encourage you to feel free to get a hold of me. Part of what I will do is help with the senior pastor search. I've put about 25 pastors, senior pastors, in about 25 churches and worked with a bunch of assistants. I will not tell the elders who to call. I will not tell you who it is, but I will consult and work with you. And uh, part of my goal these first few months is really getting to know you and to know what your needs are and what, uh, what God would have for you as a senior pastor. I've tried to be real upfront with the elders uh, that I do have some health limitations. Even though Nancy and I will be standing out in the foyer after this service and after the next service, um, I'll usually be looking for a stool to sit on. I had knee replacement surgery this last year, and uh, that's made it a little bit awkward. I have some other, other health issues. Uh, I have a thing that's kind of akin to mononucleosis. I won't kiss you, I promise. Uh, it's called Epstein-Barr disease. I have a Jewish friend who said, boy, that's a good Hebrew disease, you know. And uh, so there's, I won't give you an organ recital this morning, but there's some things that, that we are concerned about. So as we think about a clear gospel and consistent Christian conduct, as we think about the return of Jesus Christ, Jesus did something like this at what we call his Last Supper and applied the Passover meal to himself. And then the Spirit of God instructed the Apostle Paul to have people examine themselves and uh, drink of the juice and drink of the, the bread. And, and he said, do this as often as you choose to do, as, as expedient or edifying for you, until I come. And communion reminds us not only of the the substitutionary death of our dear Lord, God, on the cross. But it reminds us of His resurrection and His return. So a little girl was visiting her grandparents in the country. They had one of these old-fashioned clocks that uh, would chime out every hour, one o'clock, one time, midnight, 12 times. But as they're sitting there having supper, the clock malfunctioned, and it chimed 13 times. The little girl said, Grandpa, it's later than it's ever been before. And may I suggest to you that now is a time that we cast off the works of darkness. We put on the light of a pure gospel, and by God's grace, we try to live for Him. Ah, the Christian life is messy, hence, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to give us our sins. 
to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs says, the righteous person falls, yea, even seven times, but by God's grace, he or she rises again. I suggest to you, dear brothers and sisters at Graham Church, and maybe some of you have not yet received the gift of eternal life. It's later than it's ever been before. It's time for us to be about a pure gospel and a Christian conduct that's consistent and rejoicing that someday all the wickedness of this world will be put to an end. We will stand before God, according to Jude, with great joy. And with Abraham of old, we'll say, the judge of all the earth has done what is right. Let's bow our hearts together before the Lord. And so, Father, we ask that you would sanctify this time. I would ask that you would please bless our service together in days ahead. And we give you the thanks in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.